As you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles. One last time in this series, the 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13. Uh, what an amazing series this has been as God has revealed to us some amazing good news. That our God is so gracious, He's so loving, and His gospel is so good and so pure. What, what He has done for us, this good news in Christ Jesus, that even in the midst of our brokenness, even in the midst of our sinfulness, God's grace is abundant and God's power and strength could be seen in our lives. What a God who says to us, not just, hey, clean yourselves up, get your act together, and then if you get it all right, come to me. See, we have a God who is God. He's holy, powerful, just. But this amazingly merciful God says, you know what? Come as you are. I know the truth about you. I know what you're trying to desperately hide from others. I know your story. But come to me. Come to me with all you got. All your strengths, all your weaknesses, all your baggage. Come and come and come to my son and watch the transformation that the gospel can work in our lives for his glory, his beauty, to tell his story through us. Isn't that amazingly good news? Well, as we come to this, uh, the conclusion of 2 Corinthians, the study of the power of God in the midst of our weakness, go figure. You ready for this? Paul has a bit of an exam for us. Usually at the end of a course, you're going to get a quiz, right? So you all are prepared for this. Uh, Paul is going to give us a few things. He's going to uh, tell us uh, a final warning. Uh, he's going to love us enough in Christ to, to warn us about how we should live. But I got, I got to jump right ahead and tell you some good news. Even God's warnings, even when God tells us things in his word that warns us to change the way we live, it's gracious. It's full of love. It's awesome. He's going to give us a final warning. Then we're going to have a final exam. Uh, each and every one of us here, you may not know it, but it's exam day here in Orangewood uh, as we're under God's word. And what will that final exam be? And again, it's some really good news for all of you. Don't get nervous. If you're new to church, uh, we're not going to have you stand up and recite anything as far as you know. All right? That was kind of a joke. But anyway, uh, it's an exam that God's Word has for us. Kind of a litmus test. And we'll see how we, we uh, fare with that. He's going to give us a final prayer. Uh, and this final prayer in this letter will reveal, really, God's heart. Uh, a prayer that will tell us what God wants for you and what God wants for me. There'll be a final exhortation. Uh, kind of exhorting us now, hey, you've gone through this. This is how to live. And then lastly and beautifully, this thing will culminate in a final blessing. Man, you're going to love to have it. Uh, I can't wait to hear what God has for us as he gives us one amazing bear, claw, a bear hug with nail-pierced hands in Christ Jesus and blesses us uh, again today. So let's turn in our Bibles, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, again, thank you so much to our founding pastor, Pastor Emeritus, who preached last week out of 2 Corinthians 12 in Paul's thorn in the flesh. Uh, this week, we'll pick up in verse 20 of 12 and then read through chapter 13. Now, this was a letter written a long time ago, and it was written for a church in Corinth, a far ways away from here. But an amazing thing happened is that God came, and, and as Paul wrote with his natural gifts and abilities, God breathed upon him. 
And he did it in such a way that the God's word is never lead us astray. It'll never lead us in, in, in the original, completely uh, infallible. No, no errors, inerrant. Um, infallible won't lead us astray. So, but more than that, it's the power of God. It's God's word. So whoever you are, wherever you are, wherever you've been, you're here by design. And just know that God wants to speak to you. And, and he wants to talk about how much he loves you and, and who he is and what he's done for you through his word. So uh, let's, let's listen. Uh, you'll find it in your bulletin. You'll see these words on the screen. Or you may just want to listen as I read. But let's read along together God's word. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 20. For I'm afraid that when I come, I won't like what I find. And you're not going to like my response. I'm afraid that I will find quarreling, jealousy, anger, selfishness, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorderly behavior. Isn't it good to know our church has none of that? Thank you for your laughter. Yes, I'm afraid that when I come again, God will humble me in your presence. And I will be grieved because many of you have not given up your old sins. You've not repented of your impurity, your sexual immorality, and eagerness for lustful pleasure. An interesting translation, eagerness for lustful pleasure. This is the third time I'm coming to visit you. And as the scriptures say, the facts of every case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I've already warned those who have been sinning when I was there on my second visit. Now I again warn them and all others, just as I did before, that next time I will not spare them. I will give you all the proof that you want that Christ speaks through me. Christ is not weak when he deals with you. He's powerful among you. Although he was crucified in weakness, he now lives by the power of God. We too are weak, just as Christ was. But when we deal with you, we will be alive with him and in him and will have God's power. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Uh, Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you failed the test of genuine faith. As you test yourselves, I hope you will recognize that we have not failed the test of apostolic authority. We pray to God that you will not, uh, you will not do what is wrong by refusing our correction. I hope we won't have to need to demonstrate our authority when we arrive. Do the right thing before we come, even if that makes it look like we have failed to demonstrate our authority. For we cannot oppose the truth, but must always stand for the truth. We are glad to seem weak if it helps show that you are actually strong. We pray that you will become complete or mature. I am writing this to you before I come, hoping I won't need to deal severely with you when I do come. For I want, I, I, for I want to use the authority the Lord has given me to strengthen you, not to tear you down. Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful. Grow in maturity. Encourage each other. Live in harmony and peace. Then the love of God, then the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet each other with Christian love or literally greet each other with a holy kiss. All of God's people here send their greetings. And then may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, 
and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's pray. Father God, we ask you that you would come with such power through the preaching of your word that each one of us here would be able to clearly to see and and to sense and and even to touch and to taste the the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The the grace of Jesus that that would come and, and rescue us would come and empty himself so that we could be made whole. Father, may each one of us who is here experience today afresh the love of God the Father, the love of a father who who empties out his his pockets to give, empties out all he has to, to give us all he could so that we could have life and life abundantly. And Father, would you come with such power through the, through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would be here that would draw us into your presence and draw us into family with you. All for your glory. Father, come. Help us pass this test that Paul has for us today. Help us examine ourselves to see if we're in or out. And may there not be a soul here today that leaves here wondering if they've passed the test. For your glory and for the advancement of Christ's kingdom, let us all see the answer in Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Paul's going to begin with a, with a final warning. Uh, if in my mind's eye, I kind of picture Paul wrapping up this, this letter as he's about ready to visit them. And I, I picture him in a, kind of giving them in a headlock. And so I say to him, now listen, listen, I'm on my way and I love you, but, but some of you got to, you mend your ways. Some of you got to just stop doing the wrong thing. I've been telling you this for a while. Some of you are involved in some pretty worldly and sinful stuff. Quit it, Paul starts. Stop it. Mend your lives. How do you feel when a preacher of God's word says to you, or you hear God say, stop it, quit it, repent, stop doing those sinful things? I kind of picture God angry. And I, I kind of picture him as kind of a killjoy, to be honest with you, sometimes. Sometimes they really, God, I mean, some of those things are fun. Some of those things are good. I mean, what is, what is behind all this? But we're going to see that really it's so amazingly loving. It's so gracious of God to look into our lives, the things that aren't right, the things that are sinful and say, quit it. Mend your ways. It's interesting. The word mend is a word that he's going to use throughout this this text. When when he's calling us to repent, he's really calling us to do this, to, to, to mend our ways. Let me tell you where it's also used. Uh, it's in the gospel accounts. When, when Jesus uh, was walking on the Sea of Galilee and he was coming up uh, to those who were known as the sons of thunder, James and John. And James and John are going to become uh, disciples and amazing followers of Christ. As Jesus meets them, what they're doing is they're, they're doing the family trade. I mean, they're fishermen. They're with dad. They're probably maybe even learning the trade. And they're mending 
their nets. I imagine they had a night of fishing. And I imagine that, you know, just the use of their, their nets uh, in and out of the boat and dragging along the bottom or whatever. They're, they're mending their nets. And what the word mending is a very interesting Greek word. It's, it basically says they're restoring them to the proper working order. They're putting them in the condition that they should have been so that they work right. And so when God says for us to, to mend our lives, he's really calling us to, to put our, our, our lives in the proper working order. It's amazing what Jesus says to him. He says to this, he says, listen, guys, I got something a lot better for you than this. Why don't you drop those nets and, and follow me? Follow me. And you know what he's saying to him? Follow me and I'm going to mend your life. Follow me and I'm, I'm going to mend the, the, the tied up, entangled mess of your life. Follow me and, and I'm going to mend you. I'm going to give you life and life abundantly. And they're like, man, we're going to leave these entangled nets and follow Jesus. But you know what else he says? It's even, it's even better. He says, follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And here's what he's saying. He says, hey, you follow me and by God's grace, I'm in your life. I through this gospel of good news of what Christ has done for us, not only in Christ Jesus will I untangle your life, I will mend your life, I will make you menders of men. I'll make you, in the midst of your own life, fishers of men, menders of mine. You see, when Scripture tells us about sin, it says that sin entangles us. Sin trips us up. We probably want to stop and say, okay, no, no, really, tell me again, what is sin? I mean, sin is basically doing that which God asks us not to do or not doing that which God has asked us to do. Let me, let me say it a little clearer. God says this. He says that we are the number one thing. Love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's commanded us because he's a supreme being and we're made in his image that we ultimately, primarily are to love him with everything we got. Okay, I don't know about you, I'm 0 for 1. Never once have I loved the Lord my God and I do love him with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength. And then he says something else about what we're to love. He says we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. That really I'm to love you and care for you as much as I care for me and Darn, 0 for 2. I mean, I love you, but really as much as I love myself. And he tells us not to do things. You know, don't, don't covet your neighbor's stuff and their wife or spouse. Uh, you know, don't, don't cheat on your taxes. Don't, don't lie. Those are the things that we're called not to do. But why? Why? Because God is a, a cosmic killjoy? No, because listen, Scripture says that sin entangles the net of our lives. I mean, sin will cause knots in our lives that God never intended for them to be there. Sin keeps us from being what God intends us to be, reflecting who he is, walking with him, knowing and, and loving him. I mean, sin promises so much. It promises us life. It promises us intimacy. It promises us joy. But really what it does is it robs us of life. It takes away true intimacy with a God who is. It mars our beauty as those made in God's image. It entangles us. I mean, sin just basically, it trips us up. 
from living the way God wants us to live. But listen, you need to hear this. Living the way God wants us to live, listen, brings us the greatest joy, brings us the greatest life. I mean, you being fully you is, is you following hard after God in Christ Jesus. That's you being fully you. The lie of sin is, oh, it's going to offer so much. Oh, it's going to add a little spice to your life, a little flavor, a little bit more. Mm. Sin entangles. So the most gracious thing God could do, the most loving thing God could do is to sell us, quit it. God, listen, God loves us too much to leave us entangled in sin. Did you hear that? God loves us sinners too much to leave us entangled in sin. I mean, he's going to uncover the sin in our lives. Why? To humiliate us? Never. To heal us. To cause us, to to, to drive us to our knees. God loves us too much to let sin reign in our lives. And I, I hate to tell you, I use that line a lot. I've come alongside many of you who, like me, have made bad decisions. And I'll have to say, it doesn't feel it, but God's loving you right now. God wants to untangle you. God wants to mend your life. You might think you're going to lose something. and You might feel like something's being revealed you don't want revealed, but it's gracious. It's loving. God loves you too much not to uh, uncover your sin. Why? So he could cover up your unrighteousness. So he could cover up your brokenness with the blood of Christ and the righteousness of Christ. I mean, he loves you so much that he's going to expose that which is taking away life to press in good news of gospel life to bring you life. You see, that's the good news of Christ Jesus. That's the good news of gospel. The gospel is this. It's what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, ready for this, to mend our lives, to demand the nets of our lives to put things back in the proper working order. God created us for himself. I mean, God created us to know and love him. I mean, God created us to walk with him in paradise. And the gospel mends us and corrects us and puts us back in proper working order with a loving God and loving him and loving our neighbors. You know, our sin... Our sin causes us to love other gods and love ourselves and causes us to hurt our neighbors. I mean, did you see that list? It was amazing. God created us to love him and love our neighbors. And what do we do? We gossip, we slander. Uh, you know, we, we, we bite and devour one another. That's what sin does for us. We either are gonna criticize those that we're supposed to love, you ready for this? Or we're gonna covet them. We're either gonna love our neighbor's stuff too much and lust after it, Oh, we're going to gossip and slander them. What a mess we are. Boy, do we go to the wrong extremes. And the gospel of Jesus Christ comes to say, no, I want to make you as you were intended. When I was a small boy, I happened to remember this story. I don't know why I remember it. I think I remember it more because of my mother's reaction. It was a combination of puzzlement, amusement, uh, kind of one of those things that kids do and say that, uh, they aren't quite right, but you kind of smile because you know what's being said. And somehow I remember it. I remember having a shirt that was inside out. And I remember that my digits weren't helping me get the shirt in the proper working condition. So I remember taking the shirt to my mother and said, will you please put this inside in? Will you make this inside in? She kind of laughed. Inside in. I thought well, it was inside out. 
Make it inside in. You see, what the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ is, he takes that which is inside out and turns it inside in to make it as God has intended to. Well, how does the gospel turn us inside in? You ready for this? (laughs) This is unbelievable. How does the gospel mend our lives and turn us inside in? It's Jesus who would come as God's only beloved son. It's Jesus who would come as a spotless lamb of God. It is Jesus, God in the flesh, who would be willing to have his life turned inside out so that ours can be turned inside in. It's God just taking his own son, saying, I'm going I'm to turn you inside out. I'm going to do it for the whole world to see. I'm going to hang you there. The spotless lamb being turned inside out because of a father that would so radically love those who are so messed up and inside out so we could be made inside in. So he could make us like we're supposed to be. Through the sacrifice of his son, Christ died in weakness, this, this says. Christ, this is, listen, this is Christ. This is eternal God. This is creator God. I mean, this is, this is uh, the unchanging God. This is holy God. Holy God who would become weak. This is Jesus, the, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, who would empty himself of everything. Love and weakness be turned inside out. But he doesn't stay in weakness. He says it was raised with the mighty power of God, the, the mighty power of God. And that power now brings us life. It's Jesus. Scripture says that it's cursed as anyone who hangs on the tree. I mean, when we break God's law, we are cursed. We are living in the curse. Creation is cursed. And it's Jesus who says, I'll become that curse. Turn me inside out. Turn me inside out and curse me. Father, so that you can bless them, so that life can reign in them. Pierce me to heal them. Crush me to make them whole. What an amazing Savior. And now he lives by the mighty power of God and he lives to intercede for us. He lives to stand in the stead of us. He lives to untangle us again and again and again, once and for all through the gospel, but through our lives and guarantees that one day he will finish what he started. It's this inside out gospel. Now Christ in you, Christ through you, in Christ Jesus. Let's listen to what we have seen in this study. In Christ Jesus, would Jesus be turning inside out so we can be made inside in? We now, are you ready for this? We now are reconciled to God. God sees us inside in right now in Christ. I know you feel inside out. So do I. But listen, reconciled to holy God. Reconciled. You know what that means? No condemnation. You know what that means? He's not angry. You know what that means? He leads with love. Reconciled to holy God in Christ Jesus. But there's more. We are made partners with God. Not only did he recognize, uh, reconcile us, he says, now I want to tell my story through you. You will be my ambassadors. I turn my son inside out, so you will be turned inside out, inside in, so that the whole world can see the good news of the gospel. Be my ambassadors and tell my story. Not only are we reconciled and made partners, but listen to this. In Christ Jesus, we're commended, it says in this passage, this book. Commended. 
Not only God's not angry at us, he's ridiculously excited about us in Christ Jesus, robed in his son's righteousness, beautiful. Do you feel it? Listen, it's not about feelings. It's about what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. If you are his, his smile is ours in Christ Jesus. I said we're a stained glass window. That's what we are in Christ. I mean, it's amazing. Broken pieces being held together by the, the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God seen in the face of Jesus to be reflected in our lives. Man, that's what he tells us. Let me untangle that sin in your life. The final warning, the final exam. In college, I went to Florida Southern College, which you all know is the Harvard of the South. Um, and it's a liberal arts education, which means you've got to take classes outside of your, your, your core study. And I had to take a fine arts, to, uh, uh, some classes in fine arts. Got down to that last semester, didn't have a fine arts requirement, had to find out, get it real quick. So I looked through the list and there was a class listed. You ready for this? Harvard of the South, how to listen. Dang, I think I could do that one. How to listen, I sign up for it. And now I sign up for it, how to listen. And by, by the way, those of you who know me think, you failed that for 46 years. How do you think you're going to pass that thing? But how to listen, and I took it pass fail. There's this beautiful thing that you could do occasionally that you could take a class and you could take it pass fail. You're in or you're out. You got it or you didn't. And you don't have to worry about your GPA. You don't have to worry about if you got it, you know, C is good enough. I mean, D will work, you know? So pass, fail, how to listen. I think this is awesome. I can do this. Then you get there and you realize you're supposed to be able to identify classical music. How to listen to class. Oh, that's Bach. That's the most, man, I barely passed. <laughs> pass, fail. You know, the gospel's kind of like a pass fail. It's pass fail. You got it or you don't. You're in or you're out. It's amazing what it means. The final exam is all this. Are you in Christ Jesus? It's, the final exam is not, are you religious? The final exam is, are you not trying your hardest? The final exam is, are you giving the most you can give? The final exam is, are you better than your neighbor? No, the final exam in God's holy eyes is this, pass, fail, are you in Christ Jesus? And here's what that means. By God's grace, are you putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Are you trusting that his righteousness is enough? Are you trusting that his death is satisfactory for your sins? Are you trusting that he resurrected from the dead so that you have life and life abundantly? Are you resting 100% like you're resting in that chair right now in Christ Jesus? Yes or no? And that's pass or fail. It seems too easy, doesn't it? Think, oh my goodness, are you crazy? I mean, this is holy God. He's gonna give us pass fail. It's gonna be that easy. We're in or out. But I want you to know, it's not easy for Jesus. You see, somebody had to ace the test. I mean, somebody had to be holy. I mean, because God can't wink at sin and God's got a, he's got a perfection that has to be met. And so therefore God sent a sinless one, born of a virgin, to live a life that we were supposed to live, who aced the test for us. Didn't sin, didn't mess up even once. But the one who came and aced the test for us, he was treated like a cheater. He was treated like a cheater on the test and was broken and pierced and crushed for us. 
It wasn't pass-fail for Jesus. But he did pass. Perfection was gained. He did pass, and God's wrath was appeased. And he did pass, and death has been defeated. And he did pass, and life now reigns. Are you in Christ or not? And the final prayer in 7 through 10, basically it's this. It's Paul saying, I'm praying from your, from your restoration to maturity, that you will be made complete. Guess what the, word, the verb is right there? Mending you, untangling you. I'm praying that all the sin that still entangles you, that the gospel still will untangle you from and set you free to put you in the proper working condition in Christ Jesus. Quit thinking you can do it on your own. I mean, come on. The only way we're ever put in the proper working condition is by God's grace through the work of another named Jesus. And the final prayer is, I want you to be made complete in him. Trust in him, rest in him, pursue him, become like him. He says, I desire to build you up, not tear you down. Our whole desire here as church leadership is to make disciples, uh, to advance Christ's kingdom, to become mature followers of Christ. So we encourage you. That's what God is coming to rescue you for. So you get yourself in a community group. Get yourself with a people who will love you and hear your story and help you through God and the gospel and his word to bring you to maturity. Get involved in Band of Brothers or our women's ministry. I mean, God's goal for us is to become like Christ Jesus. The final exhortation in verses 11 through 13. He starts off by saying, rejoice, rejoice. God loves you. God is for you. If you're in Christ Jesus and you pass the test, no matter what happens, rejoice. You're going to see him. He's wiping away every tear someday. Next week, we start Philippians. And that's a whole book filled with, with joy in the journey. So more on that. Come back next week. He says this, aim for restoration. Final exhortation, aim for restoration. He's saying this, mend your nets. Look into your life. What sin is still entangling you? What are you still running to apart from Christ and the gospel? What's still around? Mend your nets. Run to Jesus. But he's saying more, aim for restoration. He's telling us as a church, let me mend your net in Christ Jesus. Let me untangle you. Why? So that you will be fishers of men. Unbelievable. So God will use you to mend the nets of others. Comfort one another. And now we see this letter come full circle. It started with the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we can comfort others in their afflictions. Comfort one another. The only way you do comfort one another is you gotta be next to one another. You gotta know their stories. You gotta love them. Live in peace with one another. For goodness sakes, it says kiss one another. I just say go get a donut. (laughs) The final blessing. The final blessing, verse 14. It's a God who put, listen, a God who put everything right at the enormous cost to himself. That's God. We're the ones who messed it all up. We're the ones who sent creation and and ourselves into the curse and into the fall. But it's a grace-filled God, a grace of God who puts all things right. He has, he will, an enormous cost to himself. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ 
In Jesus, it's the grace of God embodied in human form. It's grace in human form that we can touch. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember 2 Corinthians 8, 9. It says this. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, King, Savior, Ruler. Though he was rich, God, owning all things, sustaining all things, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, he became poor. He emptied himself of all things. He became poor so that through his poverty, through his brokenness, through his cross, we who are poor can become rich in Christ Jesus. Those who were far off brought near. Those who were children of wrath made children of God. Those who lived in darkness brought into light for the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. His grace on the cross and his weakness, poverty and humiliation. Now he lives, mighty God, to live and intercede for us and transform our weakness into his power. Grace of God is what he has freely done for us. What he has done in us. And what he does through us. All through the love of God the Father. A Father who's not angry. A Father who leads with love. A Father who demonstrates his love for us. And how does God demonstrate his own love for us? You ready for this? While we're still sinners, while we deserve God's wrath, God empties out his pocket. He empties out his checkbook. He empties out everything he has and he gives us all he could give us in Christ Jesus. He couldn't give us more. A God who leads with love. We know he does because he gave us his son. He gave us his son to reconcile the world to himself, but there's more. He gave us his son so that we could be sons and that we could be daughters. He gave us his son so that our nets could be mended. He gave us his son and his spirit so that we could be net menders for the glory of God. But he gave us more. He gave us his son and he gave us his spirit so that we could be in God's family. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father And the fellowship, the koinonia, Greek word, the fellowship, this this intimacy, this family bond, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rests and abide in each one of you. Amazing good news that God wants to live inside of us. The paraclete, the comforter, called alongside the Holy Spirit to adopt us and love us and draw us into his family. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit that brings us the grace of Jesus Christ, that applies the love of the Father. Is he in you? Did you pass the test? How'd you do? Did you pass the test? Pass or fail? That's all there is. Is Christ in you or not? That's the whole gospel. That's the whole good news. Pass or fail? Let me pray. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, What an amazing, gracious God. May today be the day. No matter what you've done, he changes F's into P's in an instant. It's amazing what he's done. All for sinners like me who don't deserve it. 
How about it? If your life is a net, what condition is the net right now? What condition would it be in? Are you entangled in sin? They listed a lot of us, a lot of sins there for us, greed, and it listed things like uh, um, uh, slander and, and gossip. And it talked about impurity and sexual sins that, that trip so many of us up. What are you letting entangle you? What's the condition of the net of your life right now? I mean, turn to Jesus. I know it's hard to just say, God, again, just apply the gospel again. Undo these knots. I know that you have. I know I'm justified, and I know that you will, and one day I'll be glorified, but would you please help me untie these knots that are entangling me? How is it with you? Look at, look at the net of your life. What sin have you let in that you need to go and spend some time with the Lord saying, examine my heart. Let him untangle that knot. It's not bringing you life. It's keeping you from the proper working order that God wants you to be in. Remember, you're a stained glass window in Christ Jesus. Broken pieces being held together by God's love in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Clear out the cobwebs of those sin so other people can see the glory and the beauty of Christ shining through your life. Letting them see Jesus through those broken pieces being held together, stained in the blood of Christ for the glory of Christ to tell his story. The amazing good news of Christ is that through our weakness, God's beauty and power shines for his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, it's amazing love, amazing love, lavished upon sinners like us. God, it's so loving for you to call us to repentance. It really is loving because we're letting sin entangle us and keeping us from what you've intended us to be. We're letting sin rob us of life and beauty and joy. Forgive us. I mean, God, we're such wanderers. I mean, we choose that which is going to entangle us and broken and break us instead of turning toward you, saying, heal us, love us and fill us. Father, that's true of all of us. We know that the gospel ultimately has entangled us in Christ Jesus if by God's grace through faith that Jesus is our Savior. But God, we, we, we stumble home. We continually mess up the nets of our lives. I just thank you for a love, Father, that just won't let us go. I thank you for a, a Savior that doesn't get tired of saying, come over here, I'll get that knot out. I would have given up a long time ago. Jesus, I think I would have grabbed both ends of the net and just made the knot tighter and said, forget it. But instead, you stretched out your arms, said, pierce me. Pierce me so that knot can be tied, untied. Father, your Holy Spirit, it gives us fellowship, but it brings us power. May the Holy Spirit come and untangle us, lovingly convict us of the things that we're hanging on to that keep us from proper working order. And usher us as quickly as you can back to Jesus. And let us just feel his amazing love and grace. All for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. And God, we pray for our tithes and offerings. Would you bless them to advance Christ's kingdom? Amen.